0: Showing your good side to the world has its rewards. When you become a plasma donor at Griffles, you'll help save lives and receive compensation for your time and effort. Up to $800 your first month. Use it for whatever you or your family may need now or in the future. You can donate plasma up to twice a week. And it's safe and simple at Griffles. Thousands of people are
1: already doing it. Learn more at GrifflesPlasma.com new way to play fantasy today's episode is brought to you by flex fantasy and they want me to relay a message to you that they have cracked open the game of fantasy football to all when you sign up for a free account and download the flex fantasy app you can import all your teams from all your leagues across multiple platforms that you play on Spice up your fantasy playing experience by challenging league mates or strangers off the street to a fantasy matchup no matter how or where they play. And put your money where your mouth is by placing a wager on your head-to-head matchup. It doesn't matter if you are on Yahoo and your opponent is on Sleeper. You can import your teams to Flex Fantasy to face off. You can even make wagers on who you think will win between other challenges besides your own. So sign up for a free account and download the app to try it out at flex.
0: This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Bader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy.
1: Welcome back into the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Thanks for tuning in live on our YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe if you have not done so already. That we get notified whenever we have new content available to you. You can also stay up to date with the show when you download us on your favorite podcast app. Give us that five-star review because it really does help us out. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, and it is the Monday Night Show, which means it is the Sunday Fun Day recap for week 14 here. Oh, and it was a doozy. It was the last week of the regular season, hopefully. If you guys are coming down to the wire in the Sunday and Monday games, which we'll recap in tomorrow's Tuesday show, you'll get what you need. If you need anything else at this point to win, and therefore most likely get into your playoff races, uh, we'll be able to help you out, of course, throughout the playoffs when you go to our social media account at show, We always help everybody who needs it for free because we want everybody who's a part of MD Nation to try to have their best opportunity to win in the postseason. So there's a lot of things we have to take out of this week, of course, and what lessons to take with us moving into the fantasy football playoffs and who to trust and what do we see that was different from other weeks? What values have changed? Before we get into all that, which, of course, will be the insights of the game in the second half of today's show, first and foremost, we got to crack into our thumpers and bummers of each position for the week. So we got a lot to talk about. We're not going to waste any time. Let's go ahead and Dive right into it. Quarterback Thumpers. This is Sparta! Oh, and our Quarterback Thumpers of the Week. Our top three plays are Jared Goff coming in at number three. 330 yards through the air. Three touchdowns. And delivered in a big way. We had him ranked inside our top 12 heading into this week. It was a good match against Minnesota. It was in Detroit. A team has been playing a much better as of late with much better pace like we saw earlier in the season. Finally healthy with a lot of the weapons around him. And Jared Goff did not disappoint with a big week in this one. Of course, our number two thumper of the week is Jalen Hurts, 217 yards in the air and two touchdowns. But what makes Jalen Hurts special? It's what he does on the ground. 77 rushing yards and a rushing touchdown to boot. Single-handedly lit up the Giants here in this one. And Hurts, who's been a top three quarterback pretty much all year long, doing top three quarterback-like things, being our number two thumper of the week. And then Trevor Lawrence coming in at our number one. And this was a bit of a surprise because I did not have him ranked inside the top 12. I had him at 13. We weren't sure exactly how healthy he would be. He was dealing with the toe issue. It was hindering him from being able to practice in a full capacity throughout the week. And without his mobility, we weren't sure exactly what his fantasy floor could be. But he just came back and bounced back after our brutal week the week before in a big way against Tennessee in a divisional matchup. 368 yards, three passing touchdowns, even tax on a rushing touchdown to boot, making Trevor Lawrence the number one quarterback thumper of the week. Quarterback bummers. Uh, we had three stinky ones, though, as we always do, but Dak Prescott, I think he thought he could just show up against Houston that he wasn't going to have to do too much in his game. And then all of a sudden he got pushed into needing action, pushing into needing making plays and he had already turned his brain off and was looking forward to the upcoming weeks past Houston. That much was clear. His game, his head was not in this game today. 284 yards of the air, a touchdown, but two interceptions, only tacks on 23 yards with his legs. Dak Prescott has not been letting this thing up. If it comes to him and his receivers are able to make plays after the catch. That is what's boosted his fantasy floor, but he is not putting up any kind of ceiling games whatsoever when you need him to the most. And that's why Trevor, I'm not sorry, excuse me, but Dak Prescott, unfortunately, did not have a good performance in the Sunday Funday recap here. But Tom Brady, also, not a guy we were depending on in our top 12 anymore at this point. And he knew it was a tough match against San Francisco going into it, but he thought, okay, maybe with Brock Purdy, maybe get a few extra... Uh, you know, three extra possessions. We knew Tom Brady, good candidate to get 50 plus pass attempts in any given week. Cause that's just what he does every single week. So when you get a guy with that kind of volume, sometimes it's hard to ignore that. That way make you, you know, want tempted at least to play a guy like that, depending upon your quarterback situation, even though none of us have him ranked inside the top 12. But if you tried to bite the bullet and you tried to play him, you only came up with 253 yards and a touchdown with two picks on the day. He was under duress the whole time, and Brady continues to disappoint like he has pretty much this entire season. But our number one bummer of the week was Derek Carr. It wasn't really a shock to us. We we're in the few locations. That you'll see out there in the fantasy industry that did not rank Derek Carr inside the top 12. He had been on a bit of a heater over the past few weeks. And I understood why people would maybe want to think about playing Derek Carr in a Thursday night game against the Rams. But what have we said? What did Chris say even on this show? And we, I echoed it myself throughout the week. Once you think you can trust Derek Carr, he drops the ball. And he was our number one quarterback bummer for the Thursday and Sunday afternoon games. Only 137 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions, only 11 yards on the ground. This is why Derek Carr is a high-end QB2 and not much more, because there's too much volatility in the production that you get on a week-in, week-out basis. Let's dive into our running back thumpers, though. Running back thumpers. This is Sparta! (laughs) For our running back thumpers, it was uh we had some really we had some really good performances. Miles Sanders, 144 yards and two touchdowns. It's a little feast or famine with Miles Sanders, which is why it makes it a little bit maddening as far as being able to trust what kind of production you're going to get because some weeks. They go to Kenneth Gainwell. Some weeks, it's all Jalen Hurts and kind of gets left out as a result to that. But in games in which Sanders has gotten 15-plus carries, he's delivered more times than not. And that happened again in this game. 144 yards on the ground, two touchdowns. One of them was a big run by Miles Sanders here. This is why he continues to be a top 15 play for us every single week. We even had him inside the top 12 heading into this particular matchup. He came through with flying colors, made us look good for this one. And Miles Sanders continues to have his best year as a pro throughout this entire season. Our number two running back thumper this week was Christian McCaffrey. 119 yards, a touchdown touchdown. And he even gets a receiving touchdown, even though he wasn't that involved in the receiving game. Three targets, two catches, 34 yards, but got a beautiful dime pass from Brock Purdy on a one-on-one matchup on the outside. He lined up a receiver. It wasn't like he came out of the backfield ran a wheel route. No, he lined up as a receiver on the perimeter and right off the jump, Purdy fed him. Beautiful catch, beautiful throw. Chris McCaffrey with two touchdowns. Oh, man. Oh man, was he great in this one? Getting the volume here, Debo gets a little bit banged up. We know with a lot without Elijah Mitchell, he's got to be leaned on a little bit more. We knew without Jimmy G, he'd have to get leaned on a little bit more. And this was a tough matchup on paper. Doesn't hurt that Vita Ve got knocked out pretty early in this game. But Chris McCaffrey having one of his best efficient days as a San Francisco 49er and makes him our number two running back thumper on the week. But our number one guy is not a name you would suspect. We had him as a possible flex consideration heading into this week. We did him inside the top 30, but Jerry McKinnon, he didn't do it on the ground. In fact, he almost lists Jerry McKinnon as a wide receiver thumper because there's only 22 yards on the ground, but nine targets, seven receptions, 112 yards and two touchdowns all through the air it was just check down city couple big plays one was a big improvised highlight reel we're going to see for weeks and maybe even for the next year to come at a patch from a that led to jerry kinnon getting one touchdown and he follows it up with another touchdown and a pass in the red zone it was check down city lighting up denver in the air for jeremy kinnon and making him our number one running back thumper on the week but we had some bummers too running back bummers This one hurt really badly. We knew this was a tough matchup going in. Tennessee defense has been getting more stout as the weeks have gone on, especially against the run. But Travis Etienne got 17 carries and was only able to turn that into 32 yards. And what makes this worse is that while Trevor Lawrence had a huge game throwing the football, not a single target to Travis Etienne coming out of the backfield His lack of usage in the passing game has been a little bit concerning, considering that's supposed to be one of his best skill sets as a running back coming out of college. That hasn't really been utilized, and it got utilized not at all in this matchup. A guy you're leaning on to be a high-end RB2, even a low-end RB1 with the way he has come on later on in the season after James Robinson was traded. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm
0: Mike. And we're Team team ready. Ready.
1: But our number two bummer, Michael Carter, had as a flex consideration. We thought, with a game script possible, that maybe Buffalo is able to get up by a couple of scores, and they did just that against the Jets. And with Mike White, who was in and out of the lineup, but still threw the ball 42 times in his game, we know how he likes to check the ball down. Carter coming back to this one, we kind of figured you'd be the main pass catching back. So especially from a full-point PPR standpoint, we're looking at Carter's like, yeah, you should have a high-floor RB3 flex kind of appeal. Even a tough match against Buffalo, ugh, it did not matter here. Five carries for five yards, and then he tacks on six targets. You like the usage there, the volume at least he got, but only three receptions for 15 yards on those six targets. Michael Carter was not a thing at all in this matchup. And then last but certainly, well, actually, I should say, I was going to say last but certainly not least because I'm just, you know, that's a phrase you're used to saying. But last and least, when it comes to the running back bummers, James Cook, a guy who looked like he was trending upward, like maybe he was taking over this backfield. Maybe he was going to lead the way. We always know with Buffalo, there's a risk that they could just ignore the running game altogether. That did kind of happen in this game. But. Make it even worse, James Cook didn't even lead over Devin Singletary and only got four carries for six yards. Make things worse, one target, one catch, nine yards, no scores. James Cook had got a lot of people considered in the flex position for them this week with the way he had been trending and the fact that he is a home run threat with the ball in his hands. Ugh, it was brutal for them today.
0: Wide receiver
1: thumpers. This is
0: sparta
1: We had some thumpity thump 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 thumpers here at the wide receiver position for this matchup. Look, James, I'm sorry, Jamar Chase, 15 targets, 10 catches, 119 yards, and a touchdown. T Higgins got knocked out early in this game. Tyler Boyd got knocked out early in this game. And it was just the Jamar Chase show as the Cincinnati Bengals were finally able to put the Cleveland Browns away. We'll talk more about that later on in the show. Chase is back, baby. Two weeks in a row now, he's turned in wide receiver one level performances. And for a guy that you were a little bit concerned about, what exactly is he going to be coming back from a hip injury that we still have to keep our eye on a week-in, week-out basis because it's still an injury that could be re any given moment. But Jamar Chase is showing what kind of a special player he can be as our number three thumper on the week. This was a shocker at our number two thumper, a complete shocker. I didn't know he could do it. Not because of him, but because of what's going on around him. Jerry Judy, eight targets, eight receptions, seventy-three yards, but he gets the hat trick. Gets three touchdowns against the Kansas City Chiefs. You know the matchup was good. You know Cortland Sutton wasn't going to play, but with Russell Wilson, none of the opportunities when they have appeared have really seemed to matter all that much. Judy looked like a man possessed. He looked like he had a chip on his shoulder throughout this game. And he came through in a big way. But our number one thumper on the week was Justin Jefferson. 15 targets, 11 catches, 223 yards. I He's our number one thumper on the week with 223 yards, as you'd think you would be. And, and, of course, 11 receptions, so half point, full point PPR, you add on the extra there, too. But he's almost disappointing as a thumper because how do you get 223 yards and not score a touchdown. It seems almost impossible, and yet that's what happened in this one. Still good enough to be the number one receiver on the week, though. So Justin Jefferson, oh, man, how good is he? Wide receiver bummers. Yeah, so look, Amari Cooper, you could not not play him, at least as a wide receiver, too, as long as he was going to be active, and the word going into is that he could be on a snap count. Well, he actually wasn't. He played 62 snaps. He, he was out there almost all the time, so that was the good news, and he got seven targets. The volume wasn't bad either, but it only amounted to two catches for 42 yards. It was clear watching him out there physically he was not the same Amari Cooper, and of course you have to run the extra risk knowing that Deshaun Watson is still trying to knock the rust off in his own right. We'll talk more about that later in the show, but Cooper, you get stuck playing some of these guys, you feel like you have to when they're activated, and you just kind of get left with nothing, and it makes you feel like, oh, I should have just not played him anyway, but don't beat yourself up too much about it. The Cooper's one of those guys that you had to play him in this week. It just didn't pan out for you this time around, but this guy, we might have to talk about benching, and with you know no more buys anymore for the rest of the season, thankfully, Gabe Davis may not be cracking our top 36 on a regular Basis. We'll talk more about why later on, but today, only four targets, three catches, 31 yards against the Jets. It is not the season that we were hoping for out of a Gabe Davis, but our number one bummer was way, way worse. We had him locked in as a top 20 wide receiver and wasn't the only one. A lot of people without Baker Mayfield thought that DJ Moore... Would have a good opportunity with Sam Darnold, who has a history, at least from last year, peppering him with targets, to maybe start to turn a corner. Maybe you could start to trust him again like you wanted to in your fantasy football playoffs if you managed to actually make it that far with DJ Moore in your lineups. His only production came on the ground, and it was only six yards rushing. Three targets with nothing to show for it. I know Seattle's been, being, you know, a pain against wide receivers as of late, but it should never be that bad for a player of DJ Moore's caliber. He dudded out and I'm sure lost a few people their matchups this week. That was a huge bummer. Tight end thumpers. This is Sparta! After a week last week where it felt like one of the worst weeks ever for the tight end position as a whole... It was a little bit better this week. I could actually fill out my entire thumper cuz last week I couldn't even fill out three thumpers. It was like, no, it was like this was ridiculous. It was like these guys don't even belong on here. This week we did have some thumpers. So first of all, Oken O-kun- Kukun- Okenwa, and Onkonkwo. All right, that's that, that's what I got. Okonkwo. That that that's the pronunciation that I'm working off of right now. If I'm wrong, you know, sue me, but Last two weeks, he's actually kind of making a name for himself. Six targets, six catches, 45 yards, and he gets the touchdown in this one. Now, we'll stop to see what he is when Chaelon Burks is back in the lineup because he's really been only involved once Chaelon Burks got his concussion early in the game last week. But something to keep your eye on, we're always looking for new talent, new players, new faces, especially at the tight end position. And he's a guy who we know has the athletic ability to make plays happen, and he comes as our number three thumper for us this week. Our number two guy, welcome back to our thumper list because he was on this quite often earlier in the season, and that's David Njoku. Oh, good, a name I could actually pronounce. Thank you. Nine targets, seven receptions, 59 yards, and a touchdown. Getting back at it, looked healthy, didn't practice at all the week before, didn't play, came back on the promise, the team's promise, that he would be back for this week, and he was. And you're happy to have David Njoku, somebody you have been coming to depend upon to be a top-12 play from what he was able to do throughout this season. Didn't know what his chemistry with Deshaun Watson necessarily was going to be, but it was his first game back. He did act as a bit of a safety blanket there for Deshaun Watson, and it paid off. So good to see him out there. We can go back to trusting him as a top-12 play at the tight end position the rest of the way, which, of course, is good news. But our number one thumper of the week had a huge, huge game. One of the biggest tight end performances of the entire year. Might be the biggest one, actually. 15 targets, 11 catches, 162 yards, and two touchdowns to none other than Evan Ingram. Like I said, Trevor Lawrence had the big game. Somebody had to pay off. It was Evan Ingram who paid off for you there. A guy who's been consistently being ranked as a low-end tight end one. He cracked our top 10, probably one of our heroes because we were higher than the ECR was when it came to Evan Ingram. Wasn't anticipating this big of a performance But if you have a guy with the upside of an Evan Ingram in this situation with with this tight end position for this year, you got to hold on to that and play him every single week. Yes, this will be his best game of the year. There's absolutely no doubt about it. But he's been healthy this year, and he's established himself as one of the primary targets for a passing attack that has improved the most part as the season has gone on. So that's all the good news there. And He is our number one thumper of the week. Tight end bummers. We'll get into more about Greg Dolchich later. And it's always volatile with a guy like that. We knew it would be, but against Kansas City and with no Cortland Sutton, we figured you had to play him size as the top 12, but uh three catches, 42 yards. Didn't get a touchdown in this one. Very disappointing. All the work with the Jerry Judy and left Greg Dolchich out in the cold. Our number two bummer of the week, though, is a name that is on this list all too often. But he's too talented to keep out of your lineups. It's such a catch-22 when it comes to George Kittle. Five targets, four catches, 28 yards. I talked about leading up into the week. I was like, look, I I have Kittle. He is a top-six tight end. He's too talented not to have out there. The match against Tampa Bay was too good not to have him out there. But with Brock Purdy looking different ways, like with Debo and Christian McCaffrey, I thought maybe George Kittle can get a little bit left out. And I'll, honestly, the five targets, you'll take that more times than not, but it didn't turn into anything. Kittle, for whatever reason, is just not getting targeted down the field. Even though he's a tremendous talent down the field, it doesn't make any sense to me. But he is just nothing more than a dink and dunk safety net player at this point. At least that's how he's been utilized for the most part this season. And another bummer performance. But still, our number one bummer of the week was Mark Andrews, another guy who's been finding himself on this list, frankly, far too often for what he needs to be in your lineups. Six targets, two receptions, 17 yards. Yes, of course, most of that had to do with Tyler Huntley getting knocked out of this game with a concussion who is supposed to be like the the amplifier for Mark Andrews with how much he targets him, normally speaking, on the field gets knocked out early. They're down to Anthony Brown, their third string quarterback. And, While the Ravens won that game, it wasn't because they were really producing all that much through the air. And Andrews winds up being our number one bummer at the tight end position. Those were our thumpers and bummers. What we're going to do now, take a quick break. We come back on the other side. We got our notes of the game and what lessons to take with us moving into our fantasy football playoffs. So everybody stay tuned. and We'll be back right after this. This holiday season, I'll be giving thanks to our friends over at Manscaped. Everyone loves turkey and stuffing, but you'll be looking like dessert with the help of Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming have blessed you with the ultimate Thanksgiving dinner topic. Tell your in-laws about your new cutting-edge ball trimmer and gift yourself or the man in your life the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Trim your pumpkins by going to manscaped.com and use the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY for free shipping and 20% off. Think your holiday spread is good? It's time to give thanks to the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0, or as I like to call it, the perfect package for your package. Inside, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker, ear and nose hair trimmer, crop preserver ball deodorant, crop reviver toner, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold all your goodies think of it as a cornucopia for your balls. Get 20% off and free shipping with the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY at manscaped.com That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY. Be thankful this holiday season for the best gift of all from Manscaped. Your balls will thank you.
0: This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving of all things fantasy.
1: Welcome back to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Thank you for tuning in live on our YouTube channel. Subscribe if you have not done so already. You can always stay up to date with the show when you download us on your favorite podcast app. Give us that five star review because it really does help us out. As always, I'm your host Dan Mater. This is the Sunday Fun Day recap, so we're recapping the Thursday night game and all the Sunday afternoon matchups. Make sure you're tuning back in on Tuesday night. We will we will recap the Sunday night. We'll recap the Monday night games. Of course, talk about our heroes and zeros of the week, and give you our waiver saviors, which that list gets real. Real important, but real slim with what can actually help you win on a week-to-week basis. Because now we're in the fantasy playoffs. We are really on a week-to-week basis. I can't believe it's here already. This season, I'll tell you what, maybe I say this every year, and maybe I sound like a broken record. I don't know, but it did feel like this season in particular just flew by. Uh, in a big way, and I can't wait to go back when we go into our offseason shows and, and really get into recapping this year. Because there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of t- twists and turns, things we didn't expect, and hopefully will make us better heading into next season. But right now, the focus is still here. So that's the point of this. That's the point of this next segment, the nose of the game. It's what lessons can we learn to make sure we don't make the same mistake twice, especially now, That everything will be on the line every single week from here on out to your championship. So let's go ahead and get into the insights of the game. Tight end. I know, I know, I know. What do we know? What do we know about the Thursday night game? That's first and foremost. First of all, that was an ugly game. (laughs) It was a boring game. And I'm glad that this week it's the 49ers and the Seattle Seahawks. We actually see a good Thursday night game for a change coming up. Because this one was not between the Raiders and the Rams. Now, the big NFL line, of course, was Baker Mayfield, who had one day of practice, no time really to learn the playbook of the Rams, didn't get the start, quote-unquote. John Wolford came in for the start of the first series, and then we saw Baker Mayfield the rest of the way after that. Because we're just like, you know what? Whether he knows the playbook or not, Baker Mayfield still head and shoulders better than a John Wolford, better than a Perkins like it's just we're just going to roll with it and we're just, and Baker wasn't good in this game and he hasn't been good all season long but 98 yards for the game winning touchdown that that's the NFL narrative now from a fantasy standpoint we don't care we don't we don't care about Baker Mayfield nothing's really going to change that all right we're not, let's just go with the Rams side since I'm pulling that out anyway what Baker showed me is that he still doesn't target your most talented wide receiver. He didn't do it in Carolina for DJ Moore. He didn't do it in this game for the Rams. He came out right away and he targeted Van Jefferson on a nice catch. And we didn't see Van Jefferson again until he got the game winning touchdown, but it was only his only two catches. He only had four targets. The other two receivers, Ben Skoronek, Tutu Atwell. Yeah. I got to mention Tutu Atwell coming up on the box score with nine targets. He led the team. Two outwell hasn't done anything his entire career. Look, there's nothing to take out of it. What you have to take out of this is that Van Jefferson can't be trusted because you can't depend on a game-winning touchdown to bail you out fantasy-wise. And apparently Baker Mayfield doesn't believe in talent the wide receiver position as far as who he wants to get the ball to. So the passing game for the Rams is, I think, moot at this point. Tyler Higby's not a thing anymore. He has to block too often. The offensive line's too banged up. They have they consistently keep him in the block. He's not running nearly the amount of routes that he was earlier on in the year when he was actually being utilized as a viable tight end threat with the volume that he was getting. Only three targets in this game. Stay away from the passing attack of the Rams at all costs. And if you're in the fantasy football playoffs, I got to think you're not looking that way anyway. The one thing we have to take into consideration would be the backfield. So Cam Akers wasn't efficient in this game only 12 carries, but he picked up another touchdown. He had two touchdowns the week before, gets a touchdown in this game, 42 yards on the ground. And for the second week in a row, Kyron Williams, who we thought might have been gaining ground at one point, and maybe even pulling ahead the one week, that has gone away almost, almost completely. Darrell Henderson's gone, Cam Akers is the guy. Now, you're praying for a touchdown, but that could be enough for a flex, depending upon the matchup. So, my point more, I guess, is this. Cam Akers should be owned during your fantasy football playoffs, but it's going to be real particular about what your situation, what his matchup is as far as can you actually play him. But it is something that we at least have to keep our eye on. We'll have to talk about when we get to our look ahead Wednesday first half preview. We get to our clairvoyant Thursday second half preview for the upcoming week in week 15. On the Raiders' side of the ball, well, we already kind of talked about Derek Carr being one of our quarterback bummers. Just when you think you can trust to play him in your lineups, he shows you why you absolutely cannot. Josh Jacobs, he picked up an injury in this game. It was a pinky injury. He got x-rays. He got cleared, and he came back into the game and still finished off with 27 carries. So we're not too concerned about Josh Jacobs heading into next week. And frankly, with him, as long as it's not soft tissue-related, we're okay. And I'm hoping with this calf thing being that he'll get the extra time off. Not that it's hindered him in any way to this point anyway, but maybe he'll be a little bit more healthy hanging into your week 15. Devontae Adams, a little bit disappointing in this game. He did all of his work in the first half, three catches, 71 yards on seven targets. Josh Jacobs, Devontae Adams, you feel great about playing them no matter what when it comes to the Raiders. I will add this in, and we'll bring Brian Scott on during our Wednesday and Thursday show to talk a little bit more about this, but there's a very good chance... Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro will make their reappearances going into this week. Now, even when they were playing early in the week, Hunter Renfro was hardly involved. Darren Waller wasn't very involved either. But it wasn't until they were gone with the Tar consolidation that Devonte Adams started popping off as like the number one receiver next to Justin Jefferson in fantasy football. And you know, Josh Jacobs—it doesn't it's not going to affect Josh Jacobs like this game, this team. They they need Jacobs to run plain and simple. And with him working with a contract here, whether Raiders are in a playoff race or not, it's not going to matter because he is in a race of, I'm trying to get paid one more time before my career is over. So he's going to give it his all every single week and give somebody a reason to pay him a decent contract before this is all said and done, because this is one opportunity to do so. So we're not going to see him slow down. I don't see, I don't think the usage for him is going to slow down any capacity. So I'm not worried about Josh Jacobs. And ultimately, I'm not that worried about Devontae Adams either, but if you take away enough, a few targets, maybe, maybe it hinders, limits him a little bit from being like the number one receiver overall that he's been, frankly, for the past two months. It's something to kind of watch and we'll get, we'll dive more into that in detail. But for this game, I'm ultimately, I'm not too worried about it. Yes, 71 yards, you're hoping for more against the Rams, especially when he starts off the game that way. But for a guy which, frankly, that has become his floor, it could be worse. And I doubt you lost your matchup because. Devontae Adams didn't have, you know, 150 yard, two touchdown performers. That's generally not going to be the reason why you lost the game because the guy got you 71 yards on three receptions. So, something to keep in mind, not worried about it, but we will have those guys coming back off of injury. Let's head into our next matchup because there's really nothing much more to talk about in that game. Let's talk about the Bills and the Jets. There was some weather in this game. Sure. There was a little like a wintry mix. It actually turned into snow. And actually, when it turns into snow later on, it makes things a little bit easier because it wasn't as pelting. Dealing with freezing rain, I've played football before. Dealing with freezing rain, it's not fun to play in, and it can affect offenses. We'll start off with the Jets' side of the ball. So Mike White was in and out of the lineup. He didn't miss much time. I mean, Joe Flacco only had three pass attempts, and he had to come in for a little bit. He got rocked the first time. I think they were trying to check to make sure he didn't have a concussion. He cleared that pretty quickly and came back out. And then the second time, he got the wind knocked out of him, had to come back in. I think he might have got knocked out a third time too. But he kept battling back. He got back in the game, and Robert Sala already came out and said he's going to start next week, which for me, okay, that's fine because now I know what to predict as far as usage goes for the rest of the Jets team heading into next week. But that in-and-out I think did affect some of the passing production we were hoping to have, particularly to the backfield. And we already talked about Michael Carter being one of our bummers of the day. It just it didn't work out. And design of a knight once again, dominated this backfield. 17 carries compared to Michael Carter's five. And was effective. 4.2 yards carry. Gets a really good defense. 71 yards on the ground. Picks up a rushing touchdown. Even got two targets for two catches and six yards. Something you, I mean, that's just like a little cherry on top when it comes to Donovan Knight. Because you're not expecting much in the passing game for him. He's not going to go away. And if this shows you anything, is that, well, even though Michael Carter is working his way back and it was his first game back from his injury... I think we can go forward expecting Zonovan Knight to lead the way and continue being at least an RB3 with some upside depending upon the matchup that they have. Remember, this is a team that has a good scheme for the backfield, and I don't think he's going to disappear anytime soon. So Michael Carter, we're going to probably have to bench him until further notice, but Zonovan Knight, somebody we will be discussing in our flex situation moving forward. As far as the wide receivers go, Garrett Wilson was... Okay, seven targets, six catches, 78 yards. Not a big performance. I don't know how big a performance we're expecting as Buffalo, but we did have him ranked as a wide receiver too. Again, going off the volume from a Mike White. So he was solid. He didn't lose you the week. He certainly didn't help you win the week either. But it's a good floor being established here for a guy like Garrett Wilson. The more newsworthy thing, I think, with the fact that Elijah Moore finally showed a pulse for like the first time this season, 10 targets. He led the team. Six catches, 60 yards. But him playing the slot more and more is could potentially be paying off when Mike White has these high-volume days. Now, what also helped is that Corey Davis, once again, picked up another injury that knocked him out pretty early on in this game. So, we'll have to see what happens if he is to miss. that, And Elijah Moore is starting to show that he is going to be back and at least involved in the offense. We'll have to look at what that could mean for Elijah Moore. Will he enter our top 36? Will he enter our flex consideration? Good decent chance he does because the Jets do play the Detroit Lions next week. So, something to keep your eye on there. Something we might be talking about during the waiver saviors in tomorrow night's show. On the Buffalo side, it was kind of just a whole hum day. They won on defense, they did just enough offensively. So Josh Allen wasn't his normal self. 16 of 27, 147 yards, he had a touchdown. Clean game, didn't pick, and he also had a rushing touchdown. So that's the great thing about Josh Allen. Even if he doesn't give you a big Josh Allen day, he's going to get you a floor one way or another because he's going to get the job done more times than not with his legs to boost that. You want more out of a guy you've depended upon to pretty much carry your teams, because that's what he's done for people up until this point, and now kind of in a little bit of a slump to his standards, at least, over the past month. This was a tough defense. Some of their matchups get a little bit easier down the stretch, when well, you got a big game coming up against Miami soon, too, so we'll have to keep an eye on that, because that, that was a defense that shut him down with all the blitzing that did. Not that you ever benched Josh Allen, but... You want a little bit more out of him with this being the most important part of the season for your fantasy football leagues. And when he has a game where he only throws the ball 27 times, only has 16 completions. Well, it affects some of the passing guys that you're depending upon, too, like a Stefan Diggs. who Only had five targets and three catches and 37 yards. When we go over the recaps with guys like Diggs and Josh Allen, it's hard to give any real like, OK, like, yes, like this game was disappointing. But it's not like our analysis as far as what these guys are, what they mean to your lineups changes at all. They're still going to be in our obvious starters setting the next week. There's nothing you can really do about that. It can change, however, complementary players. And I am referring to specifically Gabe Davis. Three catches, 31 yards on four targets. Gabe Davis, there's only one scenario in which you can play Gabe Davis. It has to be a plus matchup defense, which the Jets have been a tough defense, especially against perimeter wide receivers now with their their cornerbacks and Robert Sala getting that defense to play within his image. So you have that problem. He has to play against plus defenses and what should be on paper at very least, high scoring game scripts. Then he has the opportunity to catch a bomb. Then he has the opportunity to score. If that opportunity is not there, Gabe Davis is going to start finding himself outside my top 36. If you get to the fantasy football playoffs, you can't afford dud performances. Everyone has a good team, generally speaking, when you're in this part of your season. That means taking, frankly, less chances. Because if you get one dud performance in one position, that could be the difference between you not going to the championship. I don't know how much you can actually have confidence in Gabe Davis being your lives moving forward right now, unless those two things are true and you don't have any other options to be able to turn to. And it's unfortunate that I moved big on Gabe Davis and just did not having the season that I was hoping he would have. The other note, of course, for Buffalo, I've kind of alluded to it earlier in the show. When we talked about James cook being a bummer for this week, but uh, it was Devin Singletary who had eight carries and 39 yards. They didn't do much offensively period. I cannot stress that enough. And we have games like this where Josh Allen was the leader in carries today. He had 10 rushes. We know that with the Buffalo Bills, you're going to have weeks where Josh Allen leads the way, carrying the football, and that kind of leaves the running backs working off of scraps. James Cook didn't disappear, but he went from leading the way last week to, well, nope, he was second to Devin Singletary this week. So we have to look at this as a true committee where James Cook, you're hoping for the big play. You're hoping that the Bills decide they want to actually run the ball that day. Because they're both going to get worked in and at a 50-50-ish rate. One week in my favorite Devin Singletary. One week in my favorite James Cook. But ultimately, that limits his ceiling to being really nothing more than an RB3. We're going to have to be smart about where we pick our spots, if at all, with him going into the fantasy football playoffs. What about Cleveland and Cincinnati? So I said this during the Cashing Friday show. We're making our bets, and Cincinnati was one of my lock picks at minus 5.5. And I said, look. I know that the Cleveland Browns have been the kryptonite of Joe Burrow to this point in his career. However, I said the cure to that kryptonite, I thought, would be Deshaun Watson and the fact that he's not playing good football yet. And he didn't in this one. And that led the Cincinnati Bengals being able to finally win this game and get the Browns off their back a little bit. On the Browns' side, though, speaking of Deshaun Watson, while he wasn't good in this game, 26-42, of 42, 276 yards, he had a touchdown and interception, it wasn't nearly as bad. In fact, when you watch the tape, it was looked at from last week to this week. It's a big jump, actually, because at least these throws were competent. It looked like he got more into the flow of the game. And his arm looked like, okay, at least it looks like it's more Deshaun Watson-esque. Like I said, it still wasn't great. But when I watched him that first game during week 13, you guys, if you, if you listen to the show, you know, I had a question. I'm like, where's your arm talent? Did it did it disappear over the last two years? This week gave me a little more confidence that, okay, we can at least now look again at DPJ and Amari Cooper and say, okay, Deshaun Watson is in fact getting better, can get better, and make you guys fantasy relevant. And, you know, like we, we talked about Amari Car- Cooper being one of our busts, essentially our bummers of the week. So at seven targets. So you live with that kind of volume. You knew he wasn't 100% healthy coming into the game. And so you're thinking to yourself, okay, Don Peoples-Jones, who was a top 36 player for us this week, especially considering you had six teams on by. In fact, we were a little bit higher on him than ECR than most anyway. He came in, he had 12 targets, eight catches, 114 yards. Great. That's what I needed to see. Because Don Peoples-Jones, and really this receiving team in general, the Browns have some opportunities coming up during the fantasy football playoffs. And people Jones is somebody that I like a lot as a flex play potential, depending upon what your options are if you can play them in certain matchups. My question was like I don't know if Watson is going to get good enough in that amount of time for it to matter. This kind of answered that like okay, you got a lot better. things seem to flow a little bit smoother. You could actually hit wide receivers and stride this game. Like, wasn't great, still a long way to go to get back to being Deshaun Watson, but at least now I can look at Don People's Jones and say, if the opportunity's there, you might be able to produce still. And the same thing goes for David Njoku, who had a good game in this one and wound up scoring too. And I think with him, we can safely put him back inside our top 12. The other note that I want to add for the Browns, though, and not that this was a good matchup, but still, Nick Chubb has been ice cold. After a disappointing 80-yard-only performance against the Houston Texans, he only has 34 yards on the ground against the Cincinnati Bengals, and he actually gave you a little bit more in the passing game than he normally does. Three targets and three catches for 20 yards. Not usually his forte, but usually if you don't get it, if you don't get it on the ground, you're not going to get it through the air when it comes to Nick Chubb. Nothing you can do. We're still going to rank him as a top ten running back. You still have to play him as your RB one. But he is hitting a cold spell at the wrong time for fantasy football lines, and I would not be surprised if he's the reason that it costs some people their chance to get into their big dance, it's just a cold spell that unfortunately you just have to ride out. And even next week, you go like everybody, people are going to get in their heads next week. When you're looking at your lineups and you know, it's a, it's a win or go home situation. People get in their heads a little bit. Like they start trying to get too cute when it comes to guys, especially like Nick Chubb. And you're like, well, he hasn't been good the past few weeks. Like maybe I should just play this other guy because it's all on the line this week. And I, I get it. I understand the temptation, but these are ACE players for a reason. You don't go benching Nick Chubb just because he's on a cold streak, even though it's a win or go home week, you don't do it. So don't get too much into your head when it comes to guys like this superstar talents, you're playing Nick Chubb, no matter what, it just sucks that he's going through a slump at this, area of the year. On the Cincinnati Bengals side, we I mentioned a little bit earlier, Higgins and Boyd both left. Higgins with a hamstring injury and it sounded like a finger injury for Tyler Boyd. So I can't wait to get Brian Scott on here later on in the week. Kind of talk about that and what we can expect as far as their roles go. But we do know that if both of them are going to be out of the way, Jamar Chase is going to feast and that's exactly what he did in this game. So we know that. Mixon comes back. So Mixon comes back. He resumes his role. There was ridiculous talk throughout the week that Joe Mixon was, oh, is he gonna? Is he gonna? You know, be in some kind of committee now with Samaja Perine because he had played so well the past few weeks. And if you look at the box score, you see that Joe Mixon 14 carries compared to Perrine's four, and you'll see Mixon's two targets compared to Perine's five. And you're like, okay, well, he led the way dominantly as far as the ground game goes. And there's been games in the past where Perrine has been kind of involved in the past game because he comes in on two-minute drills sometimes, and maybe gets a few extra dump-offs in those situations. But if you look a little more closely, look at the usage. Mixon played 39 snaps. Perrine played 29. Now, I don't know if that's just a reflection of Mixon getting back his first week after missing two games on concussion and them being like, maybe they're to kind of ease him back in a little bit. And that could have been the case here, but that is significantly more than Perrine has played in weeks previous when Joe Mixon is healthy and on the field. So while the box you might think to yourself, eh, eh, Mixon resumed his role over Samaja Perrine, who yes, I know Perrine had the four carries. He wants, he's the one who wants to be getting the touchdown. It was within two minute drill. And he was just out there for that situation that that was kind of situational, not something that I'm now worried about, you know, Mixon losing touchdown work to Perrine or anything like that. But it's still more work than we were necessarily expecting. Now, maybe next week will be different. And obviously you play Joe Mixon no matter what, as long as he's activated. And I'm not suggesting by any such means that Samaj Perrine can be considered a flex play at this time. Something to keep an eye on. If you get past next week, you go into week 16. Let's see what kind of data we get in the matchup for week 15. Let's move into the Houston Texans and the Dallas Cowboys. (laughs) The Houston Texans almost pulled off the upset of the year. The Dallas Cowboys at one point this week were favored at 18. That number had come down to 17 before the game on Sunday, but still favored by 17 points heading into Sunday. And the Houston Texans had the Cowboys on the ropes all the way until the fourth quarter where Dallas was able to pull off the win at the very last second. But, oh my God so we'll start on the Houston side of the ball. Pierce, that had to make you feel good. And we, we ranked him inside of the top 20. The volume is too good. And when it comes to backfield, volume's king in fantasy football no matter what, but it's especially true when it comes to running backs. And so you just had to keep playing Damian Pierce. Did you love the matchup? No. Were people worried about this? Sure. And every time somebody asked me about a Damian Pierce question, I told them the same thing. He gets too much work. You have to play him as an RB, 2 You're not going to have a better option, especially this week with six teams on by. 22 carries, 78 yards, and he gets the touchdown in this game, a, in the shocking game at that, but he gets the job done in a tough matchup, and that's all you could ask for at Damian Pierce, and that's why you continue to play him as a top 20 play because of the volume that he receives. Now, here's what we'll have to watch. He did get a little bit banged up in this game, And we had to see Rex Burkhead come in late. So we're going to have to see exactly what that may mean for him moving forward. It doesn't sound like it's going to be a serious injury, but we're going to have to, something else we're going to have to watch and ask Brian Scott about during our preview shows. The only other note I have for Houston here is Chris Moore had a huge day 10 catches, 124 yards. I don't think anybody was expecting that, especially against Dallas. Davis Mills only threw the ball 21 times. He only had 175 yards passing. So Chris Moore had 10 catches, had 10 of the 16 completions, and he had 124 of the total 175 yards that Davis Mills had through the air. Okay, now Jeff Driscoll got a little bit involved there too, and that's part of it, but still. Not really a reflective usage we can come to suspects moving forward, but here's what I will say. If Brandon Cooks, and Nico Collins are both going to continue to miss. Well, Chris Moore as a pickup spot, start in a, you know, a tough spot can be a consideration. He is that he's the alpha wide receiver. If those guys are out of it, Philip Dorsett, he can be out there. He, he's he's run as they like to say, he's running the treadmill. He's out there for all the snaps. He's running all the routes, but he's, he's not getting utilized as three targets. It's a Chris Moore show. If both those guys are out, if just one comes back, let's say Nico Collins comes back next week. Nico Collins is the man, Chris Moore is an afterthought, and then we go from there. But definitely an interesting note that he came out and he was able to produce, and it'll be something interesting to watch, depending upon can Nico Collins and Brandon Cooks, can one of those guys get back? Because neither one practiced last week. In the Brandon Cooks' case, I wouldn't be surprised if he just he just shuts it down for the rest of the year, because it's clear he doesn't want to be there anyway. Collins, if he's healthy enough to go, he'll get back out there, because he still has to prove that he is a starting wide receiver for this team in the future, but... Did not practice at all last week. We'll have to see if he's able to do it this week. So something to kind of keep your eye on there. On the Dallas side, it's hard to take too much out of this game. It was very, very clear that Dallas was caught looking ahead and that they kind of thought they could just show up, dominate with their defense, dominate their run game, get out of this game as quickly as possible with hopefully a minimum amount of injuries as possible too. Especially, especially seemed like that was Dak Prescott's idea because it didn't seem like he ever thought he was going to have to actually make plays in this game. And when it got to the point where he did need to make plays, he could never flip that switch. 24 of 39, 284 yards, two, two, two interceptions, one touchdown. Just was not a good game. And of course, if your quarterback is going to struggle like that, well, eh, it's going to tend to leading your wide receivers struggling. CD Lamb, only five catches and 33 yards on six targets. Dalton Schultz was the only safe guy. Schultz is a very, very safe safety blanket. He's not going to get you too many weeks where he wins you the week or wins the tight end position necessarily. But very rarely, as long as Dak Prescott's a starting quarterback, will he be one of the tight ends that kills you. Ten targets in this game, six catches, 87 yards. You will take that performance from a tight end all day, every day. And that's, that's one thing of note. When Dallas finds themselves in game scripts where they have to come back from behind and have to throw it a lot, Schultz is that safety blanket. Schultz is that is that chain mover. CeeDee Lamb will do CeeDee Lamb things. He has better games ahead of him, of course, moving on from there. You're going to play him next week. But Schultz is a guy that you can really feel confident that he's going to at least give you a nice, safe floor. Both Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard here score in this game. Pollard actually scored twice, once on the ground, once to the air, Pollard actually played a few more snaps in Elliott. So that was kind of nice to see too. Both these guys are RB2s with, and in Pollard's case, he's got RB1 upside because he can hit the big play and, you know, have opportunities to score. That's the only thing I really feel safe about. Like the the backfield and CD lamb and Dalton Schultz. Like I feel good about them. Dak Prescott, on the other hand, it needs, he needs to be in a situation where his mindset's right going into the game. He's one of those guys like, you'll know, you'll know a kickoff. If Dak Prescott looks like he's in locked in on the first quarter, he'll be fine the rest of the week. It's those weeks where he kind of shows up and you realize like, oh yeah, you kind of thought you're just going to like run this game and then you weren't going to have to do too much. And then he has to flip the switch. He can't do that. The good news is that I typically see Dak Prescott bounce back from weeks like this. So if he's somebody who's been your QB1 I think you can continue to play him as such as your top 12 moving forward, too. We're not going to come off of that. So I'm willing to chalk this game up for Dallas across the board. It's just we're not going to worry about moving forward. And good news that both running backs can produce when given the opportunity to do so, and they have been. Let's move on to the Minnesota Vikings and the Detroit Lions. So we thought this could be a high-scoring game, and, and it was and i have picked the minnesota vikings to win this game outright I especially picked as my underdog pick cuz they were they were underdogs which i couldn't believe going into the game but hey, guess what this is why vegas is vegas and i'm me 34-23 detroit wins it's kind of a statement game for them too cuz now this keeps their playoff hopes alive It's the against the team that's going to win the nfc north this year no doubt about it with the minnesota vikings a big signature win for 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 this team so so good for them on the fantasy side of it Everything you wanted out of the Vikings, you pretty much got. Kirk Cousins had a huge game. We had him ranked inside of our top eight. We were a little bit higher than the ECR was. Four twenty six yards, two touchdowns. He was efficient. Minnesota didn't lose this game because Kirk Cousins, you know, pissed it away or made boneheaded plays. Like, 31 of 41. Like, Kirk Cousins was good all game long. Is their defense that actually cost in this game here. And, of course, we talk about Justin Jefferson getting <laughs> his 223 yards, but yet not scoring somehow. Uh, <laughs> I still don't know. Exactly how that can kind of work. Uh, TJ Hawkinson was good, not as good as I was hoping for, but eight targets, six catches, 78 yards. He's a top five tight end with the volume that he's been seeing. And then Adam Thielen, we thought he had a chance to score. That's why I ranked him a little bit ahead of ECR heading into this game. I had him as a top end wide receiver three. That should be belong in your lineups. He did get the touchdown. He gets seven catches on eight targets and 65 yards in this game, too. With Thielen, you know, you're going for a floor with Thielen any given a week, and that, that doesn't change. You only really want to play him in plus matchups because it is Justin Jefferson first, and then whoever gets fed off of that, we'll see. And because TJ Hawkinson has been so heavily utilized since they've traded for him, then you really start to cut into, okay, what's Thielen's consistency at that point? Not too many games this season. Cousins had to throw the ball 41 times but maybe they'll have to because that defense is more banged up now. So we might see more of this type of game script out of the Minnesota Vikings moving forward, potentially. Not saying that for them losing, but potentially having to do more offensively through the air. I think that's that's something we have to keep our eye on. Disappointing was down Cook. Thankfully, he scored for you guys, but 15 carries and 23 yards. I know the Lions have been pretty good against the run, actually, for the past month. Uh, def- definitely a trend that's gone in that direction consistently now. But 1.5 yards a carry out of Davin Cook against the Detroit Lions, that, mm, that shouldn't be happening. But now we have to look at the Lions. Like, maybe you have to limit some of your upside when it comes to your, even your superstar running backs playing against this team. might not be the juicy matchup it was on the ground earlier on in the season. Now, through the air, it's it's everybody's time to shine through the air against the Detroit Lions. But right now, ground games... Having a bit of trouble being efficient this over this past month against the Detroit Lions. So something to kind of watch and keep in consideration when picking against them going in the next few weeks in the playoffs. On the Lions side of the ball, though, uh, Jared Goff, he came through. We had him ranked as a top twelve play, and he did just that. In fact, as of right now, uh recording this, he's a top three play. We saw the Sunday night and the Monday night game, so we'll see exactly what happens in those matchups. But three hundred and uh, thirty three three hundred and thirty yards and three touchdowns. All of his weapons back. And it wasn't even St. Brown who went off in this game. Like St. Brown only had six catches, 68 yards. He didn't have a touchdown. He had DJ Chark on a big play. He had Jameson Williams on a big play. He got Josh Reynolds in the end zone. Jared Goff, if he has a good matchup and he's home, he's a quarterback that I think you can play as a low in QB1, but he's still a streaming option. Next week, they're on the road against the Jets. And, we're, and I, it's going to be interesting because I'm going, to, I'm going to say this right now. Jared Goff, who's not quite 50% owned, may not be on my waiver saviors tomorrow. We'll have to see, but there will be a reason for as to why he may not. And we'll talk about that in tomorrow night show at 10 p.m. Eastern. Make sure you tune in for that. As I said, Amon Ross St. Brown was only solid in this game, kind of mediocre-ish even because we saw DJ Chark have a huge game. Six catches, 94 yards, a touchdown, seven targets. Been consistently good, and now that he's back and healthy, been the number two receiver to St. Brown, too. Now, again, a lot of this depends on Jared Goff. St. Brown is a wide receiver one because no matter where they are, whether they're on the road, whether Goff's having a good game, a bad game, St. Brown will always get enough volume to be that guy. And that's why we don't question it. But when it comes to the complementary players, like a DJ Chark, like a Joshua Reynolds, like a Jameson Williams, it's got to be a situation where you can have confidence that Jared Goff is going to have a really good game. Because if he gets stifled, those guys disappear. St. Brown will be okay. He'll still get his, but those guys just disappear. So something to keep in mind. You only play a guy like a Chark, for instance, when you feel like you could play a Jared Goff, too. The other note we got to talk about with the Detroit Lions, the backfield. So after last week, we were starting to feel really confident, really happy that DeAndre Swift could be back. He finally outsnapped Jamal Williams. He had double-digit touches. He was looking good. He looked like he's, he looked like his normal self. We knew he was on the injury report with an ankle at one point this week, but he was off of it going into this game. And uh, we went right back to DeAndre Swift frustrating us. Six carries, three receptions. So he only gets nine total touches. I believe he had 11 total opportunities with the targets and the carries. And you're just like, oh, man. Doesn't score. Bad game against Minnesota, which is a good matchup to be had here. And he combines for, you know, 39 total yards. You have to start looking at Swift as a flex play. That's what we have to look at him. He's an upside flex play, no doubt about it. But we have to view him as a flex play. Because even though he's ultra-talented, and you say to yourself, like, well, wait a minute, like, we have other studs, other superstar-level, star-level type players... When they have bad games, we don't flinch. We just play them anyway. But with Swift, we have such a history this season of him not getting double-digit touches, having performances where he has to score a touchdown or he can give you dud games like this where we can't view him in the same light. We have to view him more as a flex play. Now, maybe he was a little bit banged up, and that's what led to Jamal Williams going back to dominating the backfield, who, by the way, did not score. And when he doesn't score... It don't look all that good either because he's been pretty wildly inefficient over the past month and a half when, and just he's been getting touchdowns, so it hasn't mattered. Still going to continue to play him as an RB2 because he leads the way in touchdowns and gets those opportunities to do so. But this backfield just became a little bit more of a mess, a little bit more volatile, yet again, moving forward in your fantasy football playoffs. So kind of keep that in mind, too. Let's talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Tennessee Jaguars. Titans, the Jaguars pulling off a big win. Man, we had the Titans locked in, too. You know, they always bounce back. Vrabel's a well coach, and Trevor Lawrence a little bit banged up coming off of a disappointing performance, and he comes back in a big way. And a game in which Jacksonville was leading for the overwhelming majority of this game, he still threw the ball 42 times. That's not something we would typically expect when you have a team that's leading like this, but... To Doug Peterson's credit, they got up, and he did not want to let his foot off the pedal. So we already talked about him. He had a big, you know, quarterback thumper week. We talked about Travis Etienne, him being disappointing. But nothing changes about either one of those guys. Trevor Lawrence has been a low in QB1 throughout this season, and I want to play him based on good matchups. The good news is what, what we can take out of this when it comes to Trevor Lawrence is that the toe issue... Not that big of an issue, at least not when it comes to him throwing the football. So that's the good news there. Uh, Evan Ingram can be played. Zay Jones is a decent wide receiver three. He had 12 targets and eight catches, 77 yards, and a touchdown in this game. He doesn't always score. Scoring has not been a consistent thing for Zay Jones, but the double-digit targets, that's nothing new. The eight receptions, 77 yards, those aren't new stat lines. So he's a wide receiver three here moving forward. The only guy that was somewhat disappointing outside of Travis Etienne, that is, is Christian Kirk. He only had five catches and 45 yards and seven targets, but not every week is Evan Ingram going to have this monster performance. Christian Kirk, typically speaking, will be the number one wide receiver. I have very little concern when it comes to him. I will keep playing him as a high-end wide receiver, too. On the Tennessee side, I mean, this what we saw in the passing game should be what we expect right now. We saw earlier so far this season when they don't have trail on Burks, they don't have much as far as pass catchers and it really limits them. And then you can really pin your ears back and just try to look to take Derrick Henry away. If you look at this box score, you'll see that Derrick Henry had a good game. 17 carries 121 yards, he had a touchdown 7.1 yards carry even tax on three catches for 34 yards on five targets Fantasy-wise, particularly great, but then he had two fumbles and completely stifled in the second half. He did about 85% of his usage of his production came in the first half. Then Jacksonville just kind of clamped down on him in the second half because ultimately what wound up happening is that you don't have to respect the passing game of the Tennessee Titans if they don't have Traylon Burks. So you want him out there. If you're a Derrick Henry owner, you want Burks out there. You want teams to have to respect the passing game to some degree. And we'll talk about more about Jalen Burks heading into next week. In his absence, you saw Tannehill spread the ball out. A little bit of Derrick Henry, a little bit of Okonkawa, and, and, you know Chigo Zim here at the tight end. Uh, we had Robert Woods get a little bit involved. He had seven targets in this game. We had Austin Hooper, who had five targets in this game. Nick westbrook akine Only 23 yards, but he does get the touchdown. He had eight targets. He led the way. It gets spread out. When Burks is out there, he's the go-to target. And then everybody else who is not fantasy relevant, frankly, as long as Traylon Burks is out there. Even going into this week, I don't have any pass catch for Tennessee being fantasy relevant moving forward. And Ryan Tannehill is not fantasy relevant moving forward either. Let's move into the Eagles game where they just steamrolled the New York Giants in this one. The Giants look like they never even had a chance. Of course, Jalen Hurts, he has a huge day. We talked about him already. We talked about Miles Sanders and his huge day. You know, A.J. Brown scored. Devonta Smith scored. Great. Everything you would have wanted out of the Philadelphia Eagles, they gave it to you. Remember, next week, Dallas Goddard, very good chance he comes back. So we might see some of the targets get a little bit more spread out between Devonta Smith, A.J. Brown, and Dallas Goddard, it seems like this offense, the way it runs, whether they're blowing out people or whatever whatever game script they find themselves in, can feature like two pass catchers at a time. So with Dallas Goddard out, it's been consolidated around Devonta Smith and A.J. Brown, but if Goddard comes back, we'll have games where maybe Goddard's the one getting left out, but maybe we'll have games where Devonta Smith gets left out. Maybe we'll have games where A.J. Brown gets left out. Ultimately, it comes down to this. If you have a Philadelphia Eagle, If you have an A.J. Brown, a Goddard, a Devonta Smith, a Miles Sanders, Jalen Hurts, that are in your lineups, and for a pretty consistent mark, they usually give you decent to great fantasy production, because this team, this offense, is just rolling right now, especially with Jalen Hurts playing the way he is. And it doesn't really matter who they're playing either. On the Giants side of the ball, we are on Saquon Barkley watch. So we knew he was banged up with the neck issue, but he was going to play. You have to play Saquon Barkley if he's active, and that 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 analysis does not change moving forward. But we may need to limit our expectations if he's still dealing with this injury heading into next week. We're going to have to watch on the practice report. That that's basically what it comes down to. We're going to have to watch on the practice report because it wasn't like the Giants got blown out and then Saquon Barkley got taken out of the game, which I mean, which he did. But this was all. This was a three man committee from the get-go between Matt Breda, Gary Brightwell, and Saquon. They, They were all getting involved from the first quarter on. And then when the game was out of hand, they just pulled Barkley all together. We knew it was a tough matchup. We knew there was a possibility of a low floor as a result of the match against the Philadelphia Eagles. And Saquon only had 28 yards on the ground and then two catches and 20 yards through the air. I was not anticipating that if he was, in fact, going to be healthy and active that they would actually have him in a genuine three-man committee where Barkley played the last snaps by the end of the day. figure if you're going to play Barkley, then he needs to be healthy. Because now there's a lot of talk that the Giants are going to bring back Barkley. There's a decent they're decent shot they can just franchise tag him and bring him back. So you're not necessarily in the same situation we thought we might be early on in the season where, okay, Barkley's in a contract year. The Giants are looking to rebuild, so they may not bother to sign him. And therefore, you know, kind of do what the Raiders are doing. You just use up the running back. So who cares how much I use him? Because I don't. I have no plans for him for the future anyway. So I was kind of thinking, if, if Barkley's going to be healthy, well then, or if Barkley's going to be active, then he should be healthy enough to get his full workload. If he wasn't, and he, clearly he was not in this game, why was he out there at all? That becomes the question for me at that standpoint. And we're going to have to watch this now really closely. As far as the pass game goes... Slayton, we knew this was a bad matchup, but Slayton can be a boomer bust wide receiver three. Outside of that, I'm not trusting anything else that comes out of Daniel Jones and this passing game. All right, so now that we got to talk about the Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers, and we're not going to spend too much time on this from a fantasy standpoint. First of all, with the Baltimore Ravens, you know, news, Tyler Huntley gets knocked out of this game. Talk of it being a concussion. Jim Harbaugh, or John Harbaugh, excuse me, after the game, Pretty much said right away that he's expecting Huntley to be able to start. Now, remember, the Ravens play on Saturday. So I guess his feeling is, is that Huntley is should be getting cleared this week, that it's maybe he should have even been cleared today, uh, potentially. I still think Huntley can be a streaming option. Like, yeah, 8 for 12, 88 yards, check down City. That's what I expect him to do. I expect him to run. And even though he got knocked out early in this game, he already had 31 yards rushing. So that, he was on the way to kind of giving you that floor lowing QB1 performance. I'll play him if he's activated. But if he can't go, if he doesn't get cleared, and I'm not anticipating Lamar Jackson be able to come back this week either, and Anthony Brown has to be the quarterback for this team, I'm avoiding everything in the passing game. I, 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 Andrews is too good to bench, but six targets, two catches, 17 yards? Oh, yeah. You're going to be in a real tough spot. Plain plain and simple. On the flip side, though, on the good news section, J.K. Dobbins, his first week back, 15 carries, 120 yards, and a touchdown. Looked the best he has physically all year long. So he went on the IR. He's dealing with the knee issue, and it was overcompensating. But maybe that's exactly what he needed. Maybe he just needed to go back and rest for a full month. And actually, be physically good to go and fully recover from the ACL injury. Because to me, that's what I thought I saw. I thought I saw a Dobbins, who looked like he was over the ACL injury. And if that's going to be the case, especially with them down to their backup and possibly their backup backup quarterback, they're going to have to lean on the running game even more. Which means Dobbins now, hello, welcome back to Top Twenty Four Town, because we're be looking at him as an RB too. Did he still split with Gus Edwards? Yeah, 13 carries for Gus Edwards. That's always going to be a factor. But we know what Dobbins can be if he is, in fact, fully healthy. And he looks pretty damn good to me this past week. So something to get excited about. If you had J.K. Dobbins to this point, and you're going to find yourself in the playoffs, I think we can play J.K. Dobbins right now, especially with how the Ravens are going to need him to be their offense. Him and Gus Edwards split to be their offense moving forward right now. You know, on the flip side, you go to the Steelers. They also had to deal with some injuries at the quarterback position. Kenny Pickett got knocked out of this game very early on. He only had one pass attempt with a concussion injury. So now we know that with concussion injuries, especially when they're, you know, they're real concussion issues, like like Tyler Huntley, I'm talking about him possibly being cleared already. That's not necessarily the vibe going on right now for a Kenny Pickett. So now we'll have to wait to see. And with it being so difficult for guys to come back within a week, we might get another week of Mitchell Trubisky, who looked every bit of Mitchell Trubisky in this game. Like, there's no reason the Steelers lose this game considering how much of this game Anthony Brown, their third-string quarterback, had to play. Trubisky or Kenny Pickett, I don't care. You're supposed to be able to beat that. I mean, that's ridiculous. He had three interceptions in this game. It just, just shows you why he's terrible. But here's the important part for your fantasy teams. Trubisky comes in. It doesn't change anything for Deontay Johnson as far as he's number one targeted receiver. And he was, he had eight targets in this game, which was more than anybody else had. But George Pickens, who did have a big play, a couple big plays, winds up getting up to 78 yards receiving, only had three targets. As something to kind of keep in mind here. Kenny, George Pickens is Kenny Pickett's guy. What was George Pickens doing when Trubisky was out there? Pretty much nothing. And I don't think I don't think it matters whether it's Chase Claypool is on the team or not. Trubisky's gonna go to Deontay Johnson, and he's gonna go to Pat Fryermouth, who actually scored in this game. Not much else besides that, but he did score. That's what is going to do. So now Pickens becomes a much riskier. Boomer bust more so wide receiver four. If we have to deal with Mitch Trubisky as a starting quarterback next week, and with Deontay Johnson, well, I'll rank him higher than George Pickens if Trubisky's playing at the quarterback position, but it doesn't really change the fact he's still a low end wide receiver three based on volume and nothing else because it's not like he was still wildly productive with Trubisky this season. The good news is Najee Harris continues to dominate the backfield. He only had 14 total touches in this game, but that, that was enough to dominate the backfield and he was able to get a touchdown. So Najee Harris over the past five weeks now has been a very, very strong RB two. So the good news is we can trust Najee Harris to be back in our lineups and playing with confidence. There was a point with Harris that we had to contemplate. Okay. Do you actually play him? Do we bother having him in the starting lineup? Cause it's brutal. Now we can get back to the place where I feel confident in that fact. Let's move into the Kansas City Chiefs and the Denver Broncos in this game. And Mahomes is just, he's fantasy magic. And I had to make sure I put that distinction in there. He's fantasy magic. 352 yards and three touchdowns. Made some tremendous highlight plays too. But he's also the reason why this game was close. The Chiefs were up at one point. I believe 27 to nothing, I think it was at one point, or 27 to seven. The only reason the Broncos come back in this game is because Mahomes threw three picks. So, he actually didn't have the best of games because they should have had this thing blown out early on. It was kind of Mahomes who kind of put them back in the game. But from a fantasy standpoint, those three picks, it doesn't want to, even if you have minus points for turnovers, it doesn't want to be affecting you that much when you have 352 yards and three touchdowns to compensate for that. So, Mahomes against one of the toughest defenses in the NFL, just tremendous all the time. That's why we love him as an elite quarterback play. Pacheco. Once again, as far as carries go, leads this backfield. Melvin Gordon still not really involved. So this is a two-man committee between Pacheco and Jerry McKinnon. Pacheco maintaining his five-yard per carry average. 5.4 in this one, 70 yards on 13 targets. He just didn't get in the end zone like he had the past couple of weeks because Jerry McKinnon was doing all of that in the passing game. That's the only thing that kind of stinks with Pacheco. Because you know that when it comes to the passing game, he's, just, he's not going to be involved in that aspect. In fact, him getting three catches for 23 yards is the most we've seen him be involved in the passing game so far this season. But he played well. He got the key first down at the very end that helped him ice the game. And not every week is Jerry McKinnon going to look like a wide receiver one. <laughs> they got a game against Houston Texans next week. We're going to be playing Pacheco with some confidence. I guarantee you he will be inside of our top 24 for that matchup. Juju Smith-Schuster, like I said, coming into the week, he's a high-end wide receiver three at minimum because he is the only wide receiver that I trust on the Kansas City Chiefs to produce on any kind of consistent level or at least trust that his volume will be there relative to the other wide receivers. 11 targets in this game, 9 catches, 74 yards, picks up a touchdown. Travis Kelsey... Second week in a row, not really Travis Kelsey numbers, you know, four catches, 71 yards, nine targets. I like to point out though, that that stat line is stat line. You'd probably kill for, for most tight ends. It's just disappointing because with Travis Kelsey, we expect wide receiver one like numbers every single week. Don't worry. It could be a blessing in disguise. If you have him in your fantasy football playoffs because he didn't go off the past couple of weeks, eh, Kelsey, there's a good, decent chance. He probably just goes off for you the next three weeks in a row anyway. So we're, <laughs> there are no concerns, of course. Uh, there we'll see what happens when Kadarius Tony returns next week but as he's shown he can't stay healthy anyway so I'm not worried about Juju and what his future may hold on the Denver side of the ball Russell Wilson actually had a decent game he had three passing touchdowns only one interception he had 57 yards on the ground he actually used his legs we're not going to make Russell Wilson a fantasy relevant quarterback anytime soon mind you but it did lead you to, like, okay, if you can just have decent games like this, then we can have production from other players that we might want to play from a fantasy standpoint. Like Judy, who gets the hat trick in touchdowns. Dolcich, who, while he didn't have a great stat line, I'll take eight targets for a tight end any day of the week. Plain and simple. I will take that any day of the week and just roll the dice on what happens after that. So, target consolidation surrounded by Greg Dolchich and Jerry Judy with Cortland Sutton. Now, as you would expect, if you can get games, where Russell Wilson can actually do something with the ball. You can have more performances like this. So we'll keep our eyes on that. Cause Wilson did get banged up in this game too, with a concussion. So now we're dealing with another chance that maybe Wilson can or cannot play heading in the week 15, in which case if it's Brett Ripon. Yeah, I don't know how much I love Judy. He'll probably still be inside my top 36, but by volume with no Sutton only, and the same thing kind of goes with Great Dolchins. He might hover around my top 12 area, but if I can find other options to go to, I just might do that. All right, now we got the Bucks and the 49ers and the narrative. Okay, Brock Purdy coming in, and can they do it? Can they, have, can they wield this offense? And the, the answer is, well, yes. 49ers completely blowing out Tampa Bay Buccaneers in this game, 35 to 7. It was never a game. 49ers had this thing up 28 to nothing at the half. This this was this was never ever a game. Uh but Brock Purdy, he actually was fantasy relevant. So if you played him in DFS, like took a shot at him in DraftKings, you know, good for you because that's the only format. Maybe two quarterback leagues if you were desperate, where I could have seen Brock Purdy actually out there for people in their lineups and soaking up the fantasy goodness that he gave. My more important take with a Brock Purdy is that he proved today he can get the ball to the guys you need him to get the ball to. All right, This is a, a game in which a defense had an entire week to prepare for him. You weren't catching anybody off guard going in that direction. He had a week to prepare within this offense. And what I saw is that, look, while I'm still not a big Brock Purdy fan, I think there's a lot of limitations to his natural ability He is good enough within this offense to get the ball to the people you need him to get the ball to. Brian Ayuk gets a touchdown this game. Chris McCaffrey had the huge day. Debo Samuel even was having a good fantasy day before he got banged up. So that's the good news there. The bad news is Debo Samuel. So now it's looking like he has a high ankle sprain, which by the way, it was a lot better than what I think any of us thought it was going to be. Because when that play first happened and the way he was grabbing at his knee, I think all of us were thinking season-ending knee injury and that could leak into next year because we're so late in the season now. Comes away, it's not a knee, it's an ankle. And then we find out from Shanahan, it sounds it sounds like it's a high ankle with no broken bones. So if you're a 49ers fan, that, that's good news. But if you're a fantasy guy and you've been leaning on Debo Samuel and you're going into the fantasy football playoffs... I don't know that you get Debo Samuel back at all, including even Championship Week, if you were to make it that far, because of the high ankle sprain. We automatically know that's a timeline of at least four to six weeks. Four weeks on the low end of that timeline puts him back for the first round of the playoffs, not for the fantasy football playoffs. So Debo, for all of your intensive purposes, may be done. So that's that's the bad news there. Good news wasn't a in knee injury season-ending. But the bad news is, for fantasy, it might be done. So if he's going to be out, Brian Ayuk, he takes a step up. A guy I was a little bit worried about because of what Brock Purdy's skill set is. Ayuk will have to be featured as that main wide receiver with Debo Samuel out of the way. And in fact, it's kind of funny. As soon as he went out, Debo, Brian Ayuk, all of a sudden, he got targeted three times. And he got two catches, 57 yards, and one coming on a really nice, you know, Uh, give-and-go situation, 32-yard touchdown for Brandon Ayuk to follow it up with. And, of course, they didn't have to throw the ball that much towards the end. So Ayuk does take a step up if Devo Samuel's going to be out for the rest of the regular season. The other thing we'll have to, I guess, kind of watch is that Shanahan made mention that Purdy did sustain an oblique injury at some point during this game, but says that's not the reason why they took him out in the fourth quarter, took him out because they were were benching everybody because they already had this game won. So I guess something we'll have to watch a little bit in practice, although it doesn't sound like anybody feels like it's too serious of a situation there. Uh, If Debo's out and you have to lean on Brandon Ayuk, well, we already know the talent of George Kittle. It could lead to some more targets for George Kittle, too. The big winner of it would be McCaffrey. I mean, McCaffrey had a huge game. If you're just looking at the box score, you didn't actually watch this game, and you see, oh, McCaffrey had 14 carries compared to Jordan Mason's 11. You're like, oh, no, we're still splitting carries. Uh Uh-uh. McCaffrey completely dominated that first half. It wasn't until that game was well in hand and eventually they benched everybody that Jordan Mason got all of his work. And so it kind of goes to what I was predicting without Elijah Mitchell and without Jimmy G Christian McCaffrey, I think is going to be the guy who leads the offense and gets it going. If they find themselves in a situation where they can limit him, like in this game, where they have a blowout then they'll probably do so. But when they needed him out there, He completely dominated touches in the first half. Completely dominated snaps in the first half. I don't know this is any sort of committee at all anymore if the game script is neutral or even negative uh, for the 49ers moving forward. So that's the good news as far as those players go. For Tampa Bay, man, it's 55 pass attempts for Brady. It's just brutal. Uh, Chris Godwin continues his high target ways. He had nine Mike Evans also had nine targets, so that was a bit of an improvement what we've seen in the past couple of weeks where he hasn't been really targeted at all. Neither one really led to much actual production. You know, Gowen had 54 yards. Evans had 44. It, it, Brady just had no time to throw. A lot of checkdowns. Can't get the ball down the field. It's just a bad situation right now with Tampa Bay. I still like Chris Gowan as a wide receiver too because of the volume that he's seeing and that physically he's okay. Evans, he's slipping to more of a high end wide receiver three. And you kind of saw it at times in this game watching it, and they're on the sideline where Brady and Evans kind of going back and forth. They're just not on the same page for whatever reason, haven't been for a while now. Uh, The only other note to take out for Tampa Bay, of course, is to be the backfield. Rashad White led the backfield. He had 13 carries, a four nets, four. Although Fournette still out-targeted him by two, but Rashad White still avail- was still involved there. Five targets on the day, five catches, 21 yards, while Leonard Fournette, six catches for 33. It's still a two-man committee, but it did seem like Rashad White, now that he didn't fumble this game, led that committee a little bit, so we will be ranking Rashad White a little bit ahead of Leonard Fournette. But both guys are going to hover around that low-end RB2, high-end RB3 range. For us, because they're both involved in the passing game. They're both putting pretty much the work on the ground for the most part. So they'll still be in that RB2, RB3 conversation every single week from here on out. And the good news is they won't have to play the San Francisco 49ers anymore, which is the best team against the run. Our last game for our Sunday fun day recap is Carolina Panthers and the Seattle Seahawks. And the Panthers pulling off a major upset here on the road and it was no thanks to Sam Darnold, who only had 24 pass attempts, only completed 14 of them, only had 120 yards passing. That's it. How do you win a game when you only have 120 yards passing? It befuddles my mind, but you win that game because you ran the ball so effectively. Donta Foreman was not the foreman a little bit of disappointment. You get 74 yards on the ground. So you feel like, okay, that's it's decent. Like, it's, it's not that doesn't kill you, that doesn't lose you a week. But he doesn't score, and you were probably expecting Dante Foreman to get 100 yards on the ground against Seattle with the way they've been playing lately, especially if you tell me Foreman's going to get 21 carries. But it was like Seattle was, was ready for Foreman. Like When Foreman had the ball and he was carrying it, they were ready for it, and they were kind of getting penetration. They were kind of stall, stalling him at the line of scrimmage quite often, and that's why he was ultimately inefficient. But Shuba Hubbard, who was still significantly involved, was very efficient. 14 carries. He had 74 yards as well, but 5.3 yards a carry. And he got a rushing touchdown. And he was involved to pass the game with three targets and three catches and 25 yards. This has become kind of a, a 50, maybe like a 57-43 type split between Dante Foreman and Chuba Hubbard. So Hubbard's now going to start looking like somebody who's going to be getting around, hovering around our, our flex top 36 territory. It's not going to be Foreman all the time. We know it's going to be game script dependent. If Panthers fall from behind, they're in negative game scripts. It'll probably be more Hubbard. He's going to run more passes. So all things kind of take into consideration as we move into those fantasy playoff weeks. Foreman will not get all of the work himself, but he's still the lead ball carrier. And ultimately, if the Panthers are going to win games, that's what they want to do. They want to be able to run the ball, especially with Foreman, when they're able to. So we're still going to rank Foreman ahead of Hubbard, but there is a significant committee enough here to keep our eye on and game script dependency as well. And I don't know how many more games, Carolina, we can really expect to be in pro game scripts like they were here. Surprisingly, today, uh, we talked about DJ Moore being a complete and utter disaster. Just a total, like, not a total goose egg because he got the six yards rushing, but basically a total goose egg here. Nothing through the air. The three targets is the factor. But again, kind of like it is with the backfield, it's game script dependent. How many games is Carolina actually going to be leading and dominating for the majority of it, like they were in this one against the teams for the rest of the way? I don't, it's not going to happen too often, which should lead more pass attempts, more, especially more than 24. And Darnold does have the history of peppering DJ more in the past. Uh, so I think we can, it's going to be game script dependent upon is DJ Moore a wide receiver three or if he's outside of our lineup altogether. I think that's what it comes down to for him moving forward. On the Seattle side, it took them a little while to get going offensively. Like Without Kenneth Walker, they don't have a run game. If they don't have a run game, Geno doesn't have play action. If Geno doesn't play action, well, he's not the same quarterback that he's been for most of the season. Now, eventually, he was able to get it going in the second half. And he ended up with a, an okay stat line, 264 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions. He makes sure DK Metcalf scores. He makes sure Tyler Lockett scores. Marquise Goodwin actually had the best day out of all of them, shockingly enough. I don't expect that to happen too often. But you're playing DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett is high in wide receiver twos. We have to wait and see when Walker will be back. This is where it gets a little bit tricky. So if you're going to be the playoffs, you're hoping Walker, they have a short week in Thursday. So now you have to hope Walker who didn't practice at all this week is able to come back on Thursday. And if he even does come back on Thursday, he's playing against San Francisco. The worst matchup you could possibly have as a running back. So while Kenneth Walker is one of those guys right now, if he's active, you have to play him, not a good situation and almost might do you a benefit. I know, I know it's the playoffs and Ken Walker's 20 talented guy, guy you're like, I'd rather Walker might line up than anything else I'm going to put in there. And, I tend to agree with you, but in a way, it can almost be a benefit if he doesn't play because he's going to have a real low floor possibility this Thursday, even if he is able to suit up. Uh, In his stead, it could be Travis Homer. Now, I don't know what the news alert, what that was all about. Adam Schefter reported just before the game, just before the one o'clock game, I should say, kicked off. He was reporting that. The word is maybe Tony Jones Jr. was actually the start. And not because Tony Jones Jr. is a better running back or anything like that, but Travis Homer is not 100% healthy in his own right. So we heard that, and we had to adjust our rankings as a result, and that will end up being not true at all. Travis Homer was the starter and very much dominated the work out of the backfield. So if you need an emergency spot start, and Walker and both DJ Dallas are not available to play, Travis Homer at least will have the volume. How, what kind of production you get out of him is to be determined. But he'll at least have the volume of an emergency flex play, depending upon your options there if both are out. That's going to do it for today's show. Make sure you come back tomorrow night at 10 p.m. Eastern on our YouTube channel live because we'll talk about the primetime recap, our heroes and zeros and our waiver saviors. Of course, we're back on Wednesday and Thursday for the full preview of week 15. And of course, we have our Cashing Friday show where we try to win you some money, do our DFS lineups and talk about our lock bets of the week make sure you're following us on your favorite podcast app give us a download give us that five star review to really help us out and follow us on social media throughout the week at billyup mbff show we'll answer any of your questions start questions and try to keep you guys up to date on the latest player news that's gonna do it for us tonight hope you guys all enjoyed it and we'll see you tomorrow